Well, the other day, we got to celebrate the fact that our youngest daughter was getting ready to go into kindergarten next year. Or maybe celebrated isn't quite the right word. Uh, maybe freak out was a little more like it. Because there's many different unknowns, especially given her situation, scenario, and all that. It's all like, how in the world is this going to work out? We've already gone through it twice with our other two kids, but still, you know, every child is different. You learn that when you parent. How is this one going to work out for this child that we love and care for? The truth is, nobody knows. The only known in the whole scenario was it wasn't how we thought it was going to go, at least so far. Sometimes, you know what, God works in the same way. You never know where or how God's hope is going to break through. Uh, we have been amazed, or I have been amazed, at hearing from different friends uh, after church and things like that about what sticks with people in a worship service. Sometimes it's the oddest thing that maybe I put together almost last minute and didn't really put a whole ton of thought into, and that's the thing that ends up uh, really captivating somebody. You never know what God will use to expand his impact in the world. More to the point, you never know what part of you God is going to use. And today, we get to celebrate a holiday called Pentecost. It's essentially the church's birthday, the day the church was birthed, the day the Holy Spirit arrived to the, to the disciples and the church exploded with growth, going from 12 to 3,000 in one sermon. Now, I know there are just about every pastor, every preacher in the world that wishes we could do that. But here's the thing. Pentecost started the church, but evangelism helped to grow it. And today, we're going to see how one of the strongest churches, one of the most mature churches in biblical time, the church of Philippi, started with wildly different people that Paul had evangelized to, that Paul had shared the gospel with. Three people in particular that you look at them and go, how in the world is this possibly going to work together? And I imagine the devil wears Prada, the girl from The Exorcist, and Larry the Cable Guy all coming together. You put him in one room and you're like, what could possibly go awry putting these three together? Well, we're going to find out just the amazing stuff that can happen. It comes in three parts out of Acts 16. We're going to start off with the first episode out of six, uh, chapter 16, verses 11 to 15. It goes like this. We, Paul and his teammates, set sail from Troas and took a straight course to Samothrace, the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city in the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained there for some days. On the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate by the river, where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had gathered there. A certain woman named Lydia, a worshiper of God, was listening to us. She was from the city of Theotira and a dealer in purple cloth. The Lord opened her heart to listen eagerly to what was said by Paul. When she and her household were baptized, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come and stay at my home. And she prevailed upon us. Now, I just want to note a couple of tidbits out of Lydia's story to help show her being kind of the caricature character that, that we have here. 
Now, she's living in the city of Philippi, which is, Paul says, is a major city. She's also from, originally, from a city called Theatira, which is an equivalent major city out in Asia. So imagine an American equivalent would be like having a house in L.A. and in New York City. You need some major uh, buku dollars to be able to pull that off. But she is, to fit the bill, a dealer in expensive cloths. Purple was an expensive dye to create, and that's why it's often saved the color purple or clothing of purple is saved for royalty because they were honestly the only ones who could afford it. That's her business. Think she's the CEO of Prada or of Coach or any of those other um, super-duper high-end luxury companies. So, you know, on top of it, we'll throw in, she's got a house in Paris, too, on top of all of it. And as you you read um, this story, and really any story, particularly in, well, anywhere in the Bible, keep a Bible dictionary handy because these facts paint a picture of Lydia, that she is a woman who's done very, very well for herself, especially in a society that doesn't value women much at all. Also, she is, we know, a Jewish convert or a God-fearer, as Luke writes in this, in this part. She has rejected the idea of paganism. She rejects the idea of polytheism, which is the idea of many different gods, which was kind of rampant at that time. But she hasn't yet accepted Christ when this episode starts. And for all the, um, the metropolis, the major cityness that there is here, we know there's not a whole lot of, of Christian or Jewish influence going on. Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke, who's the one writing this, they're all looking for a place to worship as they come into town. That's usually how they would, um, how they would meet, how they would teach people. They'd find a place of worship and expound on how what people were reading about in the Jewish scriptures, how that pointed to Jesus and his resurrection and the life we can have in him. And instead of finding a synagogue or a formal place of worship, they basically stumble across this woman's Bible study. And Paul drops in on this CEO. Imagine his approach. I, I infer that he appeals to her intellect. She's a smart woman. So he, he goes there and he starts filling in the gaps that she has of her understanding of God's work. In in a divinely timed way, the Holy Spirit opens her heart to hear Paul's words. And Lydia, this CEO woman, becomes a believer. So you see in verse 15, When she and her household were baptized, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come and stay at my home. Then she prevailed upon us. It's another evidence that Paul has been appealing to her logic and her intellect. And we have officially the first convert in Europe, in the the Philippian church, what would eventually grow to be one of the most mature churches in the biblical story, now is one member strong. So now that Paul has Lydia, Paul's going to go to the complete opposite end of the spectrum for number two. The story continues in Acts 16. This is verses 16 to 24 with our second episode. It goes like this. One day, when we were going to the place of prayer, We met a slave girl who had the spirit of divination and brought her owners a great deal of money by fortune-telling. While she followed Paul and us, 
She would cry out, These men are slaves of the Most High God who proclaim to you a way of salvation. She kept doing this for many days. But Paul, very much annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I order you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. When they had brought them before the magistrates, they said, These men are disturbing our city. They are Jews and are advocating customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to adopt or observe. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates had them stripped of their clothing and ordered them to be beaten with rods. After they had given them a severe flogging, they threw them into prison and ordered the jailer to keep them securely. Following these directions, he put them in the innermost cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. So again, we have a complete contrast in this episode to Lydia's story. Lydia was a woman on top of the world. This girl was enslaved. Lydia had plenty of money. This girl is worth a lot of money, but she doesn't see any of it because it goes all to her owners. Lydia was in full control of all her, her capacities. This woman is out of, this girl is out of control. Lydia was a CEO. This girl was a freak show. And Paul meets Lydia in an organized setting. And this girl is following them around, screaming, ultimately testing out Paul's patience and putting it, pushing it to the limit. So how does Paul approach her? Well, what he did with Lydia, approaching her from the intellect and from logic, was not going to work with a woman like, uh, like this girl. He doesn't use reason. He doesn't invite her to a Bible study. He doesn't say, as Matt Chandler says, I'm doing a seminar on crazy. You should come because you've got some crazy going on. Rather, he goes after her spirit. We see it in verse 18. Paul, very much annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I order you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. And instantly, she's freed. And the Philippian church is starting to grow. Now it's doubled in size. It's up, it's up to two people. But Paul and his gang are in for a world of hurt. Because this possessed girl, this freak show um, episode, can't make any money for her masters anymore. Now that the demon is, is gone or the spirit is gone out of her, she can't do the divination and everything like that. And she's not bringing in the moolah for her owners. So their owner or her owners end up taking Paul and his gang before the officials, claiming they're teaching anti-Roman customs. You know, uh, Philippi was a very uh, Roman metropolis. So a lot of their customs and their culture is sort of built into the, into the city. And they're beaten and thrown into the inner prison. Not only is it an area that is inescapable, I mean, it's been said that not even light would make it out of this, but they're put into the stocks. And, and you know, when we think of someone being put in the stocks or the stockade, it isn't, we often think of like the Revolutionary War era stocks where it's really all about um, public shame. You know, when you have somebody whose arms and their heads are, are kind of locked out in public and, and they're getting ridiculed and all that sort of stuff, this is like stress position kind of stocks. Like put your feet out into the splits, lock them up there, and the jailers would be like, all right, see you next week. I mean, this was, this was painful, torturous 
kind of stuff. And it's here, in this situation, after being beaten, now being tortured in the innermost jail cell, that Paul meets his third target. And the church of Philippi is going to grow triple. This third episode, as the story continues, continues in Acts 16, verses 25 to 40. It goes like this. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was an earthquake, so violent that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened and everybody's chains were unfastened. When the jailer woke up and saw the prison doors wide open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, since he supposed that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. The jailer called for lights, and rushing in, he fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them outside and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They answered, Believe on the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. They spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in his house. At the same hour of the night, he took them and washed their wounds. Then he and his entire family were baptized without delay. He brought them into the house and set food before them, and he and his entire household rejoiced that they had become a believer in God. When morning came, the magistrates sent the police, saying, Let those men go. And the jailer reported the message to Paul, saying, The magistrates sent word to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul replied, They have beaten us in public, uncondemned, men who are Roman citizens, and have thrown us into prison, and now they are going to discharge us in secret? Certainly not. Let them come and take us out themselves. The police reported these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them, and he took them out and asked them to leave the city. After leaving the prison, they went to Lydia's home, and when they had seen and encouraged the brothers and sisters there, they departed. Now just a little bit of a side note here as we look at this, this particular episode. Paul has got to be the most frustrating guy for non-Christians to meet. I mean, he is, in, this, in between these two episodes now, he's been beaten, he's in a dark dungeon, locked in a stress position, and he's singing praise tunes. To live as Christ, I win. To die is gain, I win. Whatever happens, if you're going to let me go, hey, awesome, I get to share the gospel, I get to share the hope that comes through Jesus. If you kill me, all right, fine, I get to go be with Jesus. I cannot, I win either way. Nothing can break this guy. And we see that, that spirit in this third episode. As they're singing, uh, singing praise tunes, they're you know, singing Jeremy Camp or something like that, the jailer's watching over them. And now, this is a character who's he's not like the CEO, he's not like Lydia, he's not like Miss Crazy Girl. He's just sort of middle-class, blue-collar dude. Not one... He's not thinking about the ethereal things of life or the meaning of life or anything abstract like that. He just wants to do his job, go home, and watch the game. He's a duty-bound guy. His ID, his, um, his identification, how he thinks of himself is wrapped up in his job. Maybe he's a better gospel candidate than we thought. Because this duty-bound XGI guy wakes up from an earthquake, sleeping on the job, not a good thing in a, when you're a Roman prison guard here, 
He wakes up from this earthquake and all the prison doors are wide open. Now, imagine this. It's sort of like this guy gets his boss to come out and goes, you got one job to do. Imagine you're a stock investor and you just saw all your investors' dividends plummet down through the floor. Or you're a contractor and you just saw you're almost finished. It's just about ready to close high rise and it collapses. If life is wrapped up in your job, it's pretty much over at this instant. For a prison guard, if you wake up and the jail doors are open and all the prisoners are gone, your life, your job is pretty much over and your life is pretty much over, especially for the jailer because the Romans did not take dereliction of duty lightly. The government would have killed him and the jailer's like, all right, you know what? I might as well just beat him to the punch. He has failed at his job. The one thing he should be able to do well, why keep living? No no paycheck or no game is going to be worth this anymore. And here, the gospel reaches him. Not through the logic that, uh, that won over Lydia. Not through the spiritual power that freed the demonized woman. But through a call to a higher duty. Paul has a chance. Think about this. Paul has a chance to bust out of this dungeon. And what does he do? He stays. In verse 28. But Paul shouted in a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer was blown away. He comes eventually to be saved, takes them to his house. He treats their wounds, which he himself probably caused, and probably enjoyed it a little too much causing those wounds. How is that for gospel miracle? For looking at it and going, No way. Friends, this is how the beloved Philippian church started. The church that has more coffee cup verses than any other book in the Bible. It started with these three human caricatures. Best way I can put it. You know, I remember seeing a guy, uh, this was probably even a couple years back, but I still remember this conversation so well. I remember seeing this guy, and he's working at the house doing something, and he had short sleeves on it. I mean, his arms were like the Sistine Chapel worth of tattoos and stuff like that. And part of me is thinking, no way. As far as, you know, I'm coming at it from a pastor's perspective, I'm, I'm thinking, all right, this guy, church, relationship with Jesus, no way. And part of me thought, you know what? This is exactly the kind of person God would use. And he starts asking me what I'm, what I do for a living. And so we start talking about church and he's like, yeah, here's where I go. And my family's gone here to church for years. And, and I'm sitting there on the couch thinking, well, son of a gun. You know, some of my best friends from back in Chicago, there are a bunch of guys that you'd never think they'd even entertain the idea of listening to the gospel. I mean, imagine half a dozen big guys. I mean, you know, probably six foot plus, all of them 220 and up, commonly dressed as they were, at least back then, dressed in black trench coats. And sort of like they walk in the room and you're like, do I need to take cover? What's going to happen in the next 20 seconds here? And yet we're hanging out one time and I ask them to come to church and they're like, all right, sure, we'll come. And they came and they probably freaked people out 
for those first couple seconds until they realized that they were friends of mine and and um, they were a, regularly a part of of church whenever I was up in front. This is uh, generally when I was back in seminary, so I wasn't leading every day. But if you can think, my my whole point to this is if you can think of a barrier between a person and God, the gospel can break it down. As we look at um, look at this the the formation the genesis of this church i want you to look on your community with fresh eyes maybe you see the person with heels and three cell phones and, and they're constantly bing 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 and they're you know checking everything and and seem like they're just going and going and going and going think lydia you know what the gospel saved her you see the hard per, or the the person with the hard hat think the jailer and you know what the gospel saved him maybe even if he has or she has you know the Sistine Chapel worth of tattoos all over the gospel saved them you see the person that just plain old doesn't fit in any category that you could think to put a person in think of the little girl who was demon possessed and when Paul even out of a, a time of frustration said to that demon get out of her the gospel saved her. Practice this. Practice being able to look at people and not seeing so much necessarily the category that you want to put them in or the box that you want to put them in. But think of this is a person that no matter what they look like, no matter what their demographics are or their vital sheet says, they are a person that the gospel can and maybe even has saved see that see the people around you with those kind of fresh eyes that the possibility and the power of the gospel that saved us can save them let's pray together jesus thank you for working in our lives for giving us your spirit that can turn so many stories into no way stories. The kind of stories that we look at and think we couldn't make this stuff up. And yet you work. And you call people into your kingdom. Into a loving relationship with you. Help us to see the world with those kinds of eyes. And to, to share the hope and the joy that comes from life in you with them. All this we pray in your name. Amen. Amen.